In healthcare, there are many transformative leaders. The most remarkable leaders don't just dare greatly to drive improvements, they also care greatly. They bring compassion and humanity to the work of leading transformation. This is their podcast. Through much of 2019, Vocera's Experience Innovation Network team conducted interviews with senior healthcare leaders about the concept of human-centered leadership. We define human-centered leadership as leading people with humanity. Digging deeper, human-centered leadership is an approach that explicitly supports team members' physical, emotional, cognitive, and spiritual well-being so that they can maximize their human and healing potential. We conducted these interviews because we know that system transformation is essential if we want to upend burnout and create an environment in which healthcare team members and patients and families can thrive and heal. This podcast episode is drawn from an interview I conducted with Arden Crystal, President and CEO of South Lake Regional Health Center in Newmarket, Ontario. Ms. Crystal is a nurse by background and a leader who believes that culture and leadership are essential to healthcare transformation. Arden Crystal is a leader who cares greatly. What do you see as the processes or practices or skills that are essential to human-centered leadership? You know, we, we, all, have, um, we all have a persona, right? And, and we have a home persona and we have a work persona. And I think that the people who are most successful in human-centered leadership are people who who have trouble differentiating yeah. that. Um, you should be the person you are. Yeah. And uh, and that doesn't mean that you, you know, you might say something at home that you wouldn't say at work or right. what have you. But but what it means is that, you know, if if at home, if a, if a friend or a relative uh, was in trouble and needed your help, then then why is that any different in the workplace? So if a work, yeah. if somebody at work needs your help, well then, you do what you would do uh, yeah. because, um, you know, for the kind of culture, at least the kind of culture that we're trying to create here at South Lake, um, you know, we want to see our our employees and our physicians and our volunteers as, as kind of like our, our big, um, our big family and, and families have each other's back. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I try to role model that as much as possible. And there's just little things about respect that I think are really, really important about human sense. Because deeply, when you think about what you want as a human, the times that I have been most upset about my treatment at work have been when I felt disrespected. Yeah. And so just basic, flat-out respect is something that I always try to show, and I try to show it in ways that are small. So... Um, when a staff member emails me directly, I always reply. I try to recognize um, work. I, I try to learn people's first names. I'm terrible with names, but I try really hard. Um, and I try especially with people who wouldn't expect it. Um, so, you know, if there's a housekeeper I see all the time, I call her by name. If there's, um, you know somebody, a particular nurse, and, uh, you know, and I've had people say, oh, I didn't think you'd remember me. And, and those things are important because yeah. they, they tell people that, uh, that they're an important person. It doesn't matter who they are. They're important to the work and the objectives of this organization. And that respect is just sort of the basics of what helps to build human-centered 
leadership. And, and I believe the more you role model it and the more you teach it, then the more our managers do that and our other supervisors and our directors, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was my observation that, you know, for years in healthcare, although, um, although you know, many of us went into healthcare as clinicians because we had a natural sense of compassion and we wanted to help people, um, that sometimes the system actually drilled that out of people. Yeah. And uh, and uh, interestingly, um, we we did a, a round of strengths finders years ago with myself and a number of my team members, and uh, and empathy we all scored quite low and we were huh. shocked, and we thought, oh my gosh, like we thought that would be the highest, and we right. realized that 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 what had happened is that over time. Um, some of the, the traumatic and other things that we had seen um, had sort of um, inured us to it, if yeah. if you will. Like we didn't allow ourselves to feel because, number one, um, it wasn't uh, something that was acceptable in the system and uh, it wasn't acceptable in a leadership position. And certainly as a woman leader in healthcare, uh, it has been it has taken many years for me to feel like I can truly be authentic um, and transparent and vulnerable because those yeah. were not qualities that were uh, acceptable in a leadership position. That's really interesting. It's easy to fall into the stereotypes that women are naturally more this way or, or not, mm-hmm. but I, I hadn't really thought about the way that um, because leadership has been male-dominated, um, showing up, whole, uh, particularly as a woman who has empathy and compassion, would be harder. Mm-hmm. And and even with boards, you know, if you think about yeah. the composition of most boards, they're predominantly, um, with all due respect, old white men. And, uh, you know, yeah. that uh, that creates, uh, even subtly, uh, it, it steers the ship, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, and so that has made it more difficult. Uh, for leaders, be they female or male, yeah. to to really exemplify that kind of you know you you can be strong and tough, but you can also yeah. be soft when you need to be and and compassionate to people and and uh, sometimes in the prioritization of what happens in an organization, particularly one where money is always tight, yeah. is is you're judged by what you prioritize. And yeah. and so those male-dominated boards sometimes prioritize finances over people, and so, you know, y- y- that's that's how cultures form. Yeah. What are the factors that have led to you being able to 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 fully to more fully mm-hmm. express yourself and show up more whole? Well, I think that the cha- the system is changing. Um, I think that uh, that. New entrants into healthcare, being you know in in younger generations, I think they want different things out of work and yep. out of their lives, and uh, and some of the it, it's it's become uh, I think obvious that some of the old command and control uh, people are expendable types of leadership styles don't work in this environment. Uh, because people are more mobile now. So, you know, in the old days, you had one job and you kept one job and yeah. you, you were prepared to be mistreated and you right. still kept it. Yeah. <laughs> and because there was a hierarchy and a pecking order and, and people just kind of followed it. 
uh, you know, I don't think today's generation, I mean, they're prepared to question things and they, they have options and they, they use them. And so that's been a good thing. I mean, it's frustrating sometimes, but it's a good thing because what yeah. it does is it behooves us to think more about, you know, our staff and what they're feeling. The other thing that's that's absolutely generated is that, you know, we, we do have a kind of a worldwide shortage of healthcare professionals. Yeah. And so, you know, we we can't treat them uh, as expendable. Um, it costs a lot of money when you do that. And and then I think the other factor that's sort of you know kind of played a role in that is is the sort of um, awareness and uh, and sort of emergence of the patient experience is a really important thing in patient engagement because the things that patients overwhelmingly say they want. Is, is not more technology. They want care and compassion. And um, so, you know, I think the opportunity as a leader to be able to model that, given all of these factors, uh, it's, it's opened up some doors for that. That's really interesting. And I hadn't really thought about the, the mobility of workers as a, as a factor in, in terms of people just not being willing to tolerate it be, before. So, not only that, but with the emergence of social media, yeah. you know, if, if you're a quote-unquote bad employer, um, yeah. everybody can know about it right yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's there. you have to really be careful, and I think yeah. in a way that uh, even, you know, my predecessors 20 years ago did not have to be. The other thing we have to do is 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 not treat our employees as simply employees. Like, they're yeah. people. They're people, yeah. and, and they have lives outside of here. And and those stresses and strains of things that happen outside of here impact them at work. Yeah. And and our job is to help them cope with those things so that it doesn't impact their work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sometimes you also have to give people a break and because right. we're all human. These yeah. aren't just people who come in and work for money, like they're, they're real people right. and they have the same stresses and strains in some cases as you do. Yeah. Um, and yet, isn't it amazing that they manage to put those aside <laughs> and they can, you know, perform so well. Yeah. So, so let, me, let me push on that because I, I, I love it conceptually and there's that voice in the back of my head that is probably channeling a bunch of HR folks who worry about where you draw – where you draw the line or what you do when it seems somebody is trying to game that system, which is absolutely the exception, but mm-hmm. never, but still present. And so I think where the reason we've ended yeah. up in many cases with so many draconian HR rules is somebody gamed the system. And so in order to be quote, yeah. quote, fair, you know, you, you put the hammer down and, and it gets worse for everybody. So how do you, yeah. how do you manage against that? My view is is that I owe you respect right from the get-go. However, if if you don't act in a way that garners that respect, if you're intentionally um, doing things that are either illegal or unfair or uncivil, um, then you know it is disrespectful to the rest of the respectful employees for me to tolerate that. Yeah. And that impacts our culture. And so that's kind of where it comes down to, you know, um, do you take action against one individual to help the collective whole? And right. and that's that's your job as a leader of an organization. You have to yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if people, regardless of how much you've tried, cannot perform the job, they cannot stay here. That's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. 
and and people re I think that other employees respect that so for an example of what we're doing is that we have an extremely generous short-term disability sick plan and and there is a small proportion of people who who have figured out how to use that and uh, and it creates a lot of problems for the 90% of everybody else who's using right. it appropriately. And and we've decided instead of having draconian sick rules for everyone, yeah. that that we are doing a specific push on the 100 or so employees that are the the big time users and abusers of this process and we are we are doing recognition letters for all the other people who actually are appropriately using it. And and we're trying to do those kinds of things as much as possible. Interesting. So I want to push on that one step further because, again, I'm in absolute agreement conceptually. And what you're talking about is giving people the opportunity to use their judgment. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, a wonderful thing. And it also opens the door for their implicit biases to, to run all over mm -hmm. the place. Yep. Right. So I might be more likely to have that conversation with somebody who, you know, who looks differently from me or that I've right. put in some other group than I might with somebody who I can relate to more directly. So we've had a lot of discussion about it. I think it creates a lot of edu education uh, opportunities. We were just in, uh, just put out an offer to a, a, a diversity and inclusion coordinator. So we, we believe we need to put some, some effort on it. Um, you know, we're making progress, but uh, I think it's. The, I think awareness is certainly. You know, for myself, uh, you know, I think over time, the more awareness you gain um, on this, the 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 less implicit bias, you know, becomes yeah. an issue for you to have to deal with. Yeah, there's not a training you can go through and poof, it's gone. It's no, it's it's an overtime <laughs> thing. <laughs> In some ways, the organization has to be willing to tolerate. The, the risk that comes with letting people le lead in a, in a human-centered way while still creating the yeah. standards and saying there are standards and things like that. And I want to press on the idea of accountability mm -hmm. around human-centered leadership um, because it is more the how than the what yeah. of leadership. Um, is the, how does the, the concept of accountability work in that? If managers have spent a lot of their time dealing with the 10% of bad performers, uh, then they start to, it's almost like you start to believe that everybody's a bad performer, you know, because yeah. you're spending all your time on that. And I remember, you know, a good friend of mine has a, 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 fr uh, has a husband who's a police officer, and she said, gosh, you know, he, he, he's got to retire because he thinks everybody's a scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because, you know, he spent so much of his time with people who are criminals. Yeah. And, and so, you know, sometimes that happens to our managers, uh, and so we have to remind them constantly, you know, there's 90% good. And yeah. uh, yes, you have to deal with bad performers, and you have to spend lots of time with your good performers, and you've got to spend lots of time cultivating that. Because over time, that great culture actually starts to push that other stuff away, because yeah. it it it's not you know the peer pressure creates an environment where they can't flourish like that anymore right so that's actually a good segue into looking at the idea of training coaching mentoring whatever kind of skill transfer approaches 
um, you guys either have or that you'd like to see um, to build more human-centered leadership at, at every level. What are you guys yeah. doing, or what, what do you think needs to be done? Um, well, I'll tell you what we're doing, and not maybe I'll tell you what I think we could even be doing more of or the system could be doing more of. We believe everything starts at your values, and uh, as an, at, at the values of your organization have to resonate with, with, um, with people's hearts and minds, and they have to be things that people really believe in and feel. And and then that's not enough. I mean, it's great to do that. And we, when we were, when we were kind of refreshing our values, we, we did. We went out to staff constantly and polled them and said, "Is this right? Is this right? How does? How do you feel about this? Does this touch your heart?" Those kinds of things. And we finally got to to ones that you know basically scored anywhere from 80 to 90 percent. Yes, it really does. So that's pretty good in an organization. Yeah. And. But then you can't end it at that. Then you have to constantly use that language, constantly um, uh, draw associations between stories that happen in the hospital and those values. So, for example, when I send out a message, as I recently am doing, because we've got a financial challenge right now, um, you know, I've asked people, you know, I've told them about some of the mitigations that we're putting in place, but I've asked people for their own ideas. And, and one of our values is the power of many. And and so, you know, what I've done is connected it and said, you know, just like our value of the power of many, you know, sometimes many small ideas for savings add up and create something big. And and that's what we stand for here is, is that all of our individual contributions matter. And so we try to do the, those things. Um, we have another value that's every voice matters. And so how we live that one is that um, anybody at any time can email uh, the Office of the President and we'll get an answer because their voice matters. Um, and people are allowed to disagree. Um, they need to do so respectfully, but they're allowed to. And so, you know, we just try to very much tie all of the things that we're doing all the time with those values and embed them, truly embed them. Yeah. Um, and and that's important. That's sort of the, the, the start. And, and, then, uh, and then I think it's, it, after that, it's, you know, you need to select the right leaders. Uh, you know, some people, I do think it is, it can be learned, but I also think that, that some people's, perhaps the way they're, they've been brought up or their, their personality or whatever, it, it, it's going to be a lot harder for some people to learn. Yeah. And yeah. so you, you have to be realistic about, you know, selecting for fit. Yeah. So I think in leadership that's important. Sometimes, you know, we select people that are individually great contributors, but it's really hard for them to lead people. Right. And they're good on one-on-one, -on -one, but they, they can't do the collective thing. Yeah. And uh, and and so we we need leaders that don't always resort to rules and regulations, but who, you know, who who think in principles, right? And and values are kind of like principles in some ways. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're trying to encourage here. So that's interesting. How do you identify that people have that? Is it sort of a you know, the manager recognizes it? and that becomes a succession opportunity for somebody, or is it something you, you, you know, for lack of a better word, test for? How do you yeah, well, what we're, what we're starting to do is that, like, all of our job descriptions now have a variety of, um, of sort of accountabilities, if you will, that sort of reflect um, what working with these values 
are, are all about. Uh, and uh, we've we're starting to design interview questions that really you know test for some of those things. Getting our VPs and our directors to really follow up on on uh, issues and challenges that happen that seem to be in contravention, so that that can become a learning opportunity and. You know, people do learn by doing. I mean, I've yeah. certainly screwed up lots of things, and I've learned a lot from those experiences, maybe even more than the things I've been successful in. And <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, we, we try to help, you know, our, our leaders, especially our frontline leaders, do the same. Yeah. And, that, and, and also that's... recognizing, like really making sure that we recognize the right behaviors. The more you recognize that sort of human-centered leadership, the more that people realize that that's what, people want here. I've never seen somebody recognized and stood up specifically for the the how of how they lead. No. Um, and, and it would be interesting to see that, to sort of say, you know, yeah. you're the most respected leader in this organization, right? Your your numbers are maybe in the middle, and, and we can work on some of those things, but here's the thing you're really doing right, and mm -hmm. it's human-centered leadership. Yeah, we've just revised our recognition program, and so, you know, we've always had sort of awards of excellence and that kind of thing, and we we had the very typical kind of standard thing. We've we've changed that, and we're calling them our, our South Lake Champions Awards. And uh, and we've changed the, the all of the categories. So we do have a leadership one. Uh, it's not called human-centered leadership, but it, it is a leadership award, and uh, and it is has the how and the what in it. And then uh, we've changed our our, key, our core awards are actually aligned to our values. So each of our five values has has an award um, that goes with it. So we think those actually will help, and we'll probably see quite a few, not only frontline staff members, but we'll see quite a few leaders in those award categories, I think, which will be really fun. Very cool. That is very cool. What will it take for human-centered leadership to become the standard for healthcare? I think for things to change, there has to be a recognition that actually showing vulnerability as a leader is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. A good thing. Doesn't mean you're weak. Yeah. Right. It actually means you're strong, because <laughs> um, you're strong enough to be able to show that you have emotion and you have feeling. Obviously, you don't like cry all the time or any of that. <laughs> but but you know, if something's truly sad, it's okay to be sad. Yeah. And and when when your employees see that, they see you as a human, and that connection creates followership. Mm -hmm. And and that's the human connection. And it's the same connection that patients and staff feel. So when your patient sees you as a human, then they connect with you in a different way yeah. too. And and that's just that's so basic. For it to change, um, you know, those of us who feel this way, I think, have to really talk about it, and we have to show it, and we have to role model it, and we have to educate our boards um, to 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 help them understand that it actually drives great performance in an organization. Because if it's connected, if it's not just seen as a soft thing, then, you know, especially for-profit boards, they're not stupid, like they want to make money. So right. if you can show, if you can connect it and say, wow, you know what, we actually do better when, we, when, when this is the kind of leadership that, we, that, that our leaders exemplify, then, you know, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. I think the challenge then becomes being able to sort of quantify that this is the way that people are leading, yes. which is which is hard. Somebody was making the analogy to diversity where there's just hard and fast evidence that yep. more diverse leadership and more diverse organizations 
drive better results. But yeah. in some ways, it's it's easier to get somebody to categorize themselves as belonging to a particular um, affinity group or identity group mm. or, or a racial category or what have you, and therefore mm-hmm. measure the absolute diversity. It's much harder to measure the absolute level of human-centered leadership yeah. versus command and control. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do aspire to get to that place to where we can say, if we categorize leaders, this is the these are how the results align to those different categories yeah. of leadership. Yeah, yeah, And particularly yeah. at, the, at the organizational level to be able to say, you know, okay, there, how much of a culture of human-centered leadership exists at organization A, B, C, and then how does that correlate to those Yeah. Things, which would be really cool. Yeah, that would be cool. All right, well, this has been awesome. So interesting to hear your perspective, and I love all of the, the specific things you're doing to bring this to uh, fruition. Thank you so much. You it's too. Thank you. Hello. Okay, have all a great right. day. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Caring Greatly podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher. For links to resources related to Ms. Crystal's work to transform the human experience at Southlake, please go to vocera.com podcast and click on her episode. This is Liz Bohm, Executive Strategist for Human-Centered Research at the Experience Innovation Network, part of Vocera. Thank you for caring greatly.